Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is a native of Southern California. She's a social activist, a youth advocate, and the founder and president of the nonprofit organization Rock Era. My good friend of almost 25 years, Ms. Ariana Angelique. Ariana, Ooh. thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. 25 years. I know. Wow. I didn't mean to age us. <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, next year will be 25 years because we met in 97. My oldest friend, I think, that I honestly still I'm know. Everybody's oldest friend. I'm, I have the most longevity in people's lives. You really do, and I feel like nothing's changed. You know, like since we've known each other, just we had like a, a a few years of a break, but then we just you know went back like it was normal. Right like in. literally, 1997 feels like it was. I don't even know how long ago. 1997? Are you kidding me? I know. I know. Ariana true. is a, a retired performer. She's yes. no longer in the business. No longer in the business. <laughs> but what she is doing now is um, even more impactful than her performing. So I know last year specifically, Ariana, you really stepped up and things kind of changed in your life trajectory, your career trajectory, and just what you started putting emphasis into. So how did Rock Era come about? Um, I like to say from a, um, one of my favorite singers, Miss India Ari, she has a, a line in her song that says um, she's a person of motion. And so I agree with that and have always resonated with that line. Um, you know, I, I was in the industry um, for 15 plus years as a you know musical theater actress. And then I, it was done for me. It was time to close the door. I knew there was I knew there was more things that were I had to get, had to do before, you know, for the end of my life. And so I, um, I really just decided to, I wanted to be a content creator and I wanted to write and create for children's film and television. I've always been a youth advocate, um, but it wasn't about just creating content. It was about creating diverse content, bringing more diverse characters to the forefront. As you can probably agree, I growing up did not have many characters that looked like me that I could relate to at all. And still there's not enough today. So that's kind of where I shifted um, at the beginning of 2019 um, and that was kind of my focus for that year. And then, you know, the pandemic happened and things sort of stopped for a second. And I, again, as a person of motion, I feel like when the pandemic hit, some people, you know, it's either fight or flight. And for me, you know, I, I did a lot of things. I jumped into, you know, um, volunteering for Red Cross and then, you know, the death of George Floyd and the riots. I mean, I've always been an activist or an advocate in some aspect of my life, but, but this year, you know, I was sitting in my apartment and I thought, you know, this is, this is the time to, to jump. And so I, you know, became a social activist here in LA and rock era initially was actually not, um, uh, about the youth in the beginning, you know, as an activist here in the streets, which we can talk about, you know, it's, um, it's definitely, a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a role for sure. And it's for a type of person to be out in the streets, boots on the ground, you know, fighting for social justice. There's a role for everyone, you know, but yeah, for me, for sure. Last year, that was it for me. I mean, I just, you know, I have a loud voice and I always tell this story that the first time I went, um, I went to one of my, the, the, my first marches and I was just using my voice, you know, and I stepped up and was, you know, people were quiet. So I started leading chants and this one guy, this one ally stepped up to me and said, you know, I have this megaphone and I feel like you need it more than I do. So mm. if you don't find me at the end, it's yours, keep it. And I always tell that story because to me, that was the moment where my, I got my power. I truly yeah. believe like, as a, you know, as an activist, this is where, where I belonged. So I, you know, I led over 2000 people for the rest of the day and then it was just continuous. Um, and it's so very symbolic. Was, that was like the moment right. that like you were given permission to just step right. into your purpose in that and that. And by an ally too, which was interesting. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, I've been an activist for a while. We had never seen this many amount of allies in the streets ever, you know? So that was something that was, um, that was, it was, it was incredible. So 
from there, you know, the streets were getting more and more dangerous just with the, with the police presence and just people angry and wanting, you know, there's some certain type of activists that just want to fight and it's just, you know, they're out there, they're angry, which I understand. But, um, you know, so Rock Air was initially more of a de-escalation tactic, you know, we, we, regardless of color, um, you know, so we would go out there and we would, we would talk, we would de-escalate and we would have conversations and get people to sort of, you know, educate. And then as the, as the year went on, I realized, you know, what do I want to do with this movement? Where's my passion? And my passion has always been children, mm. from, you know, my entire life, whether I, you know, taught musical theater or worked with kids in some capacity. So that's when I realized, you know what, it's time to shift. And, you know, for me, it's important that you evolve with the movement. You evolve, like staying in one position. That's just, for me, that's, I don't know. I think I evolved with it. And so now, you know, Rock Era, we focus on empowering the lives of children in lower income communities, especially our oppressed communities right here in Los Angeles. Watts in particular is one of the worst neighborhoods in California. And so mm-hmm. we have been working there now for six months. Started off, I'm sorry, this is a long, long-winded answer. Um, started off as mutual aid. And then, you know, because we couldn't do much for during uh, COVID-19. And then um, now that we're, you know, it's opening up again, we're doing our we're full, full go with our kids, uh, our kids program. I love that. And yes, you have always been passionate about kids. I remember (laughs) when you decided to kind of step back from doing performing, you wanted to focus on bringing arts programs to children. So that's what you're doing. And you're doing it for the communities that don't get the access to it. They don't have it in their schools, which that's another conversation about how arts are always taken out of schools, but specifically for children of color, because we were very lucky. We had quote unquote privilege in that sense that we were exposed to music and arts growing up. And I know, I know for a fact, like I don't need to see statistics or data or whatever, that if there were more arts programs in inner cities, it would totally turn things around. 100%. It changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. And I actually said this on another interview recently. If I didn't have the arts, if I didn't grow up in, in the world of musical theater and I didn't find that passion, I don't know where I'd be right now. And I That's don't even same. know if I'd be the founder of Rock Era, to be honest. Like, yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know where I'd be, but it wouldn't be here. Right. So it's, um, and that's another thing. I'm glad you said that our goal, you know, is to bring in um, untraditional things. So that's why the arts is the first thing that I automatically, obviously it's, you know, it's, it's in my world. It's what I used to do. So sharing that gift, but it's important that these children have access to things that they don't normally have access to. So the performing arts, untraditional sports, things that, you know, taking them outside of the projects, outside of that environment, introducing them to a world of opportunities like that's mm-hmm. the goal that's the difference between us and, and an after school program is that we're not doing the typical things that you would normally see this is this right. is this is nurturing the child's interest and you know teaching them different languages and different types of music and different types of sports that they're not they're not used to they don't think that they have access to so right. yeah right and that falls also into representation for that community because why would they think that they could do something if they've never been exposed to it or see people that look like them that are doing it as well? So I think, especially in those neighborhoods, like in Watson Compton, like people just don't want to go over there. And it's like, you have to go over there if you want it to change and you want them to grow up believing that they can do things. So what you're doing is just monumental and I'm so proud of you. I do want to backtrack a little bit though and talk about your experience being in the streets because, you know, I would have been out there, but I had a baby, so I had to be responsible, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, you know, how were you able to kind of placate some of the resistance you guys received? Because even when you're marching with, you know, people that look like us and marching with allies, there tends to always be some sort of fallout. And 
you know, we can talk about who starts those <laughs> situations, but how have you kind of managed to do damage control in the streets? Um, that's a, yes, that's a loaded question. So <laughs> I, I will say, I will say to backtrack from the beginning of the question, I will say that, um, you know, there has been a lot, you're right. There's been a lot of drama within the community ourselves. And it's, it's really unfortunate, even within the black community of activists, mm -hmm. you know, we are constantly butting heads. There's different ideologies, different, you know, ways of how people want to move. And for me, somehow I've stepped into a, a leadership position in, in LA. And so um, I, you know, I've, I've tried to bring um, the leaders together at least. And when we talk about our allies, you know, I think that's something that has been taken advantage of at this point. I think in the beginning it was, you know, we were praising them for having that much, you know, um, support and it was incredible. And I think that now it's gone too far. There are, there are great allies out there, you know, but um, I think, it's become to the point where they, you know, they feel as they can do whatever they, whatever they want. And that's just, that's an issue when it comes to, you know, for me, I'm in the streets for black liberation, period. That is why I'm in the streets. And so when you come in with a different agenda, there's a, there's a time and a place for it. You know, if you are, I'm not going to, you know, say certain types of <laughs> allies or anything, but if you have a different agenda, there's a, there's a time and a place for it. If you're going to be in this space as a, um, for black liberation, you need to show up and listen. You know, and I think that was the biggest thing in the beginning, too, is, is giving black people a voice, giving mm -hmm. us a voice, finally, especially black women. Um, you know, but I will say I have, especially with de-escalation, I have a way of um, being able to, to de-escalate whatever, in whatever capacity. You know, if we're marching for the families, there's a family of a victim, um, you know, the, the point is to keep them safe. The point is to not agitate. The point is to not, you know, we're marching to keep that particular family safe. Um, I will say, though, that as an activist in the streets for almost a year, it was exhausting. Mm. And there were moments where I didn't even realize until after the fact that I, I have PTSD from a, from a lot of experiences from it. You know, we can get into that if you want to get there. I think it's important to talk about because mental health is so important, especially in the world of activism. Like, and I didn't really um, realize it because I was constant, you know, especially yeah. the summer through the fall. I don't, you know, I think I was out there five to six times a week, you know, and this is, this is at midnight, this is through the day, this is, you know, and there's just different situations and, you know, um, dealing with the police. And I think for me, the most PTSD came from, um, you know, the counter protest and the Trump supporters and that, mm. that whole world, which we can talk about if you want to, it's just, um, and I think I'm at a place now where I've, I've come to, you know, understand it and have tried to work through it, but, um, yeah, there's there's been a lot of a lot of issues within the community. We're trying to we're trying to work it out, especially here in LA. You know, and it's not just LA; it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but right now in LA, you know, we're really trying to focus on empowering the black leaders in the streets, yeah. giving them a voice because a lot of them, a lot of these allies, have sort of knocked off their crown, and it's important that we we get that back. So that's kind of the role that I've assumed right now within the streets here in LA. How do you deal with your mental health in these situations? Because even being out on the streets, but even if you weren't out on the streets, it's the constant images of black bodies being killed and the headlines and the videos that specifically, like I'm, you know, I haven't gotten to the point where I am like, I can't watch a video. Certain times I'm like, I don't want to, I don't need to, I know what happens, but I know there's so many people in our community that are like, I don't want to ever see a video again. I don't want to see a picture and I get it. And I think that it's become 
you know, I hate this phrase, but it's kind of true. It's like trauma porn for some people that they just keep continuously posting these images and posting these videos, thinking that they're contributing to awareness, which I appreciate, but not thinking about the toll that it takes on the mental health of the black community. So how have you managed to protect your mental health in the streets and just even at home when you see a headline? In, in the beginning, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't thinking about my mental health. In the beginning, I was, I was reacting. So I would mm-hmm. see a video, I would see something that would infuriate me. I would, you know, and I remember, I have proof of it too on my Instagram and just in videos in the beginning of the, you know, the whole movement, I was, you know, happy, crying, you know, just emotions throughout the day. And I have, I have proof of it. Um, but I, I really wasn't, um, I wasn't taking care of my mental health in the beginning and I had to step back because I, I kind of got to a point where I, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. You know, and I, I definitely was, again, I was reacting. I would react to the video. I would see something and we'd be out in the streets, mm. you know, and we'd be angry and fighting and then there all night and exhausted. So it was a constant, you know, sort of repetitive thing. And so I eventually, I took a big break after the most, the, after my most traumatic event experience um, in Yorba Linda. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it, you know, at the time until maybe like a week later. And I realized, you know what, I'm in a, I'm in a, not a good place. So I took a big break. I took a big break and now I pick and choose now, you know, I kind of took, I think the holidays, everybody sort of died down for a second and I was focusing on rock air and the kids. And when I came back now, I decide when and where I, I put my energy, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not in the streets constantly now. And it really has to be something. I don't step out in the streets unless there's an action behind it unless we are demanding something at something last year, nobody thought about, we were just out there because that's what it was needed at the time. Now I think some of these actions, you know, they're just, again, people are bored or people, you know, so it's important that there's something behind the action. So mental, mental health for me now is just taking a step back, taking a break, focusing on rock era and sort of just sort of trying to balance where I'm needed and where my energy is needed the most. And just, um, and sometimes just unplugging completely is, is really important. You know, in terms of finding that call to action, I know that a lot of people struggle with that because I know people want to do something. They don't know where to start and they feel that, okay, well, maybe if I just post this or maybe if I organize this rally or organize this event or whatever without having an action, like at least I'm bringing awareness. And I'm not going to ever fault anybody for trying because I think the heart is always in the right place. But how have you deciphered the, the, the difference between just you know, speaking loudly and calling things out and actually doing a call to action? Like, what was that, you know, dichotomy for you? Um, well, I will say as far as speaking loud, I, and I'll be honest here, I mean, this is our, this is, you know, I, um, I think that some, some activists are, are performative. And I, you know, as a, when I was a performer for 20 years, I, I can spot that immediately. Right, right. I can spot it immediately. And I, I'm just completely so against it in every way. Cause I just, I just, um, so for me again, and also in the streets now, I, I know pretty much every organizer I know, you know, in the California area, especially Los Angeles. So I know, I know, I know people's intentions really. Yeah. Um, right. And I, but I, I'm going to be honest. I don't think if you are, if you want to bring awareness and don't know how, I don't think that hosting a, a rally or a, um, you know, I think it's important to educate yourself first. And there are so many ways to educate, um, you know, yourself on, on all of it. You know, there's so many grassroots organizations. It's really finding where your role is and then, you know, doing the research to find out where you can fit in. But I think sort of, 
I, and I also think that if you're new and you're coming into this, um, again, with no education and no, uh, you know, awareness of, of what the demands are or anything, it can be dangerous. Yeah. That last year, there was a lot of, um, you know, new organizers that were just sort of holding things and, and calling things. And there was, we were put in really dangerous situations, you know? So, um, I definitely think if you want to, you know, want to be a part of it, you want to do something, definitely educate yourself and reach out to organizations that can guide you on the best way to do that. Yeah. For you, because, you know, for the listeners, Ariana is biracial and, um, but she identifies as a black woman. And how have you navigated that? Like navigated your identity and speaking out for the black community because you know I always joke Sienna's your mini me right, but she's gonna she's a black woman you know she's gonna grow up to be a black woman and that's what her identity is and that's who she is that's how the world's going to see her. So yeah. for you, how have you navigated that? Because I love your mom. I've known your mom forever, right? And I know right. you don't deny her. Not at all. Your Not identity all. is as a black woman. So how have you balanced that? I mean, I, I thank God for her every day because like I mentioned, um, I've, I've said it multiple times, she raised me as a black woman. And I tell this story all the time that, you know, she said she took her first look at me and saw my features, saw my hair texture. And my brothers are also mixed, but they can pass as, you know, you know almost white in, in certain ways. I cannot. Um, and so she raised me as a black woman. And so I've never really, it's never really been a complex. When I was younger, when I was younger, it was an issue because, and you know, like I, I didn't quite feel like I fit in with either, either culture. And that was a struggle. And until, and, and even in the, even in the entertainment industry as a performing art, you know, as a musical theater actress, there was so much racism within our, in that industry that I now look back on and was completely blinded by, yep. you know, yep. I spent 15 years auditioning was my career. And I remember being told so many things like, you know, you're not black enough. You're not white enough. You're too tall. You don't sound black enough, sound more like a mammy, you know, all these things that I just, mm. and we accepted because we didn't, you know, it was what it was and nobody was, we just turned a blind eye, you know, to it. And I, there's also that fear of speaking up that like, you're going to burn a bridge or like, you're going to be viewed a certain way if you don't get right. people out, which we're past that now. Cause I don't care. Yes. And <laughs> you I know that. you don't care anymore either, but yeah, in that, time in our lives for sure for sure it was a thing so yeah but I think now um there's no question I think to answer your question about how I'm dealing with that especially as an activist I mean I again I've always identified as a black woman I I love and appreciate my mother and always you know and I do love my you know Caucasian side of my family but I um I've always been the world views me as a black woman so when when everything happened and again I've been an activist for a while now I just haven't been I haven't had a chance to be on the ground because I was performing constantly Mm -hmm. and this was my chance you know and and um there's no there's no question I don't I don't feel the need to explain my ethnicity um and you you shouldn't have to yeah yeah and when and and I don't know but there are some but there are some you know biracial people that feel have this complex and feel like they shouldn't be in the streets because they are you know a b and c and I, I really, in this, in this generation, in this day and age, it's like who, whoever you identify as own that, be authentic and, and, and own who you are, you know? Yeah. And my mom, you mentioned my mom, she is one of the biggest allies on the, on the I block. love your mom. So she's, she's the best. Right. And so she, you know, she's right there with me constantly and she's one of my biggest supporters. And, you know, I just feel really lucky to, um, to have grown up the way that I did, because I don't, yeah. I, again, I don't know, I can't imagine identifying as, as a Caucasian woman looking the way that I look, you know? so 
and it's unfortunate, but the world is black and white. And that's, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I thank that's God for her. Hard truth. Around black people. She, she, I grew up in a, in a, in a black church. I was always singing in Baptist churches. I was in a part of a community choir, you know, inner light, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so yeah, that's to answer your question. I, I haven't, it hasn't really been a complex. I have really, I recently I've mentioned it um, just in my last couple of speeches I've done. Um, because I think it's important to, to help people that are maybe going through that, to let them know, like, whoever you identify as. They don't know where they land. Yeah. Exactly. But you have every right, you know, and I hate to mention this, but I always think about this. Like, back in the day, one drop of Negro blood and you were, a, you were considered a Negro. Yeah. Like, it was, you know, it's still low-key like that today. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that one of the situations or myriad of situations, but specifically the pushback you got from Trump supporters, what was one of the, I guess, biggest misconceptions that you would hear from their side when they were having counter protests in the street? Because I am a firm believer that, well, for some of them, but I'm a firm believer that if they would just listen they would understand, but there was never really, I feel like there's never been an attempt to listen and understand. It's just always on the defensive when they hear Black Lives Matter, they think it's not, like, it doesn't have to include you. We're not not saying you don't matter, you know what I mean? But for you, when you've been out in the streets and you've come across counter-protests, what was the biggest thing that you would hear from them? I mean, again, I have, I feel like I have the most experience with them just because of Rock Era. If if you Mm. go back to the beginning of us, we would go to the counter protests. We would be there and and literally cross the street and have conversations for hours. Mm. And it was exhausting in the beginning. And the biggest thing we heard a lot right away was BLM is a terrorist group. Mm. BLM, you know, is is a terrorist group. It's trying, you know, tear down the country. I don't know, or to change things. And I, I mean, they would listen and it was a it was long conversations. It was really long conversations. Um, but towards the end of it, towards, you know, towards I guess the end of the summer, things started to get dangerous and there was no more, there was no more opportunity for conversations. Mm. But what I always started with was, and there was a couple of really epic moments where, you know, we would, at the end of the conversations, their side would come over, our side would come over. We'd have a sort of a, you know, a, a fist pump or a, a hug and and then everyone would go home peacefully, you know, and that was, that was, was incredible. But to answer your question about what I heard the most, yeah, I heard that, um, a lot about Obama that he, you know, he had a chance to change the country and do this and that. And he was one of the worst presidents and that our lives matter too. And no, you know, it's just a lot of the same, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, I, I don't know how much, I think at one point we were able to get one of our, one of the guys to throw off his Trump hat and come on the other side. And I don't mm. know the show or what that was, but you know, I, I did feel in the beginning that the conversation was, was, it was, it was important, you know, to, to, Cause that's at the end of the day, we want to somehow all be able to coexist. But I think after a while it got dangerous. And a lot of those people, some of them were horrible, you know, some of them were awful. And there was some, sometimes there was no opportunity for conversation. Right. Right. So when I mentioned like Yorba Linda, that was just a whole nother. I remember, I remember you texted me after that one. That one was. Did I? Yeah. Oh my God. What did I see? I don't even know what I said. I was so. What did I say? <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean, it was a long time ago, but okay. I, I remember you, I think also like, didn't your car get stolen? Or like, it, yeah, but actually we found it. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was my oh, friend. All right. Good, good, good. But yes, okay. I remember you said that one was like pretty dangerous or like there was like altercations, like it was bad. Yeah. Um, I can, yeah. It, well, there was a, you know, there was a couple of arrests that happened. So I have to be careful what I say, but I mm-hmm. will say this because I've said it loud and clear. Everyone knows I was, um, 
I was head of security that day. It was just supposed to be a small march through the city of Yorba Linda, which is in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And it was just going to be a march through the very small route just to the center of the you know town, just to say, you know, no more racism here. Like that was kind of the, that was kind of the, the idea, the, the message. And I'll tell you this, one time we got there, we were surrounded by, you know, every single, but it was more than just Trump supporters. It was, it was a lot of the Proud Boys. It was a lot mm. of um, people that we'd seen sort of spread up throughout LA and California. They had come from everywhere to meet us that day. So as head of security, you know, I was, I was trying to keep, and, and when I say head of security, I mean, keeping our people safe. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that I've always been an advocate of is, is, you know, if I'm not with the kids with rock era, I'm keeping the people and the families safe that want to, that want, have that right to be in the mm-hmm. streets. Mm-hmm. It's never anything, anything more, never, I would never put anyone in jeopardy. I always want to keep the people safe and, and allow them to march and, and, and feel safe. And, um, by the time it was ready for us to go, we had over 250, um, you know, Trump supporter Proud Boys basically attacking us. And it was, um, it was, uh, the most traumatic experience I've had as an activist. And, um, I remember, you know, not being able, we, we did the march and not being able to turn around. I marched backwards for two and a half miles because if we turned around, you know, they'd be, we just couldn't turn around. So wow. we were facing off with them walking backwards and I was bare maced several times and, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, physically attacked, but, you know, almost very, very, very close to it. Um, but the bear mace was devastating. It was just, it was a lot. And um, just, you know, remembering like feeling that hate, I've never felt that much hate in my life from just looking the way that I look or being a black woman in that city that day. So, um, so you'll never go back to your Belinda. No, I don't think so. I mean, oh man. So it it was, it was a lot, you know. But um, but that's that's the as a as an activist, you know, that's the role that we that we take. You know, it's it. You just don't know. You never know. Yep. Yep. But somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Well, you are brave. You are brave. Um, let's talk a little bit about now your goals with Rock Era, because. I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I love what you're doing. You're getting people involved. You're going into the cities that need it. What, what is an end goal for you? I mean, not an end, you know, it's never going to end, but you know, but like looking at the end of the year, what would you like to have accomplished with the organization? Yeah. I mean, again, we're moving really quickly and we have now we've have, we have so many partnerships. We have, we've partnered with the children's Institute. Now we're bringing in our programs all over Watts, but you know, the goal, I guess by the end of the year, the goal would be to expand, mm-hmm. you know, we really, I mean, because of the areas that we're in, there's some, some of the, um, some of the projects don't even have a space where we can be yet. So we've just been outside, you know, in the grass, in the dirt, doing our programs. And so for me, the goal would be to have a safe space for these children to, yeah. to and because our work is so much in Watts right now, we, you know, my board and I have talked about board have talked about, um, you know, opening up a rock center right there in Watts. And another thing is, is because we're working in different projects, but that are pretty close by, but there's different gang rivalries happening. We can't even, um, we can't even combine the children. Mm. You know, we can't, we can't bring them because of parents and gang issues right there on, you know, where we are. So the goal would be to open up a space and bring kids from all the projects into this one space under one roof, you know? Um, so yeah, that's our, that, that would be our end goal, you know, to have a center later, for them. To have a center. But then again, I don't want just a center. You know, we want multiple centers. We want, you know, I've always seen it, you know, nationwide. You know, I, I really believe that Rock Era could could be could be a model, you know, and it's not just a um 
it's not just a space, you know, it's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of introducing these children to, to endless possibilities. And we always say our slogan right now is, is making the impossible possible. Mm. And, you know, just by working with them right now, you know, just in the last couple of months here and doing these programs, it's just, you just see the change already. You see it already. And it just, it really just takes, you know, a village. It just takes someone who cares to come in and, and work with these children's hand on hand, hands on. And, um, I just, you know, it's a lot of work, but I feel really blessed to be here. And I, I just, I see this is just the beginning for Rock Era. I mean, the impact you're making is huge. How have you, you know, gotten your message out to those areas and getting the, got the kids involved in the program? What has been your path for that? Pulling up and knocking on the doors. Like, really? um, to be honest, it's yeah. Like that grassroots, that kind it of. It is, like, because, okay. you know, some of these communities, you have to build trust, number yes. one. Because I'm sure we know that they're used to, people coming in, dumping, you know, gifts and food boxes and never seeing them again. So it took some time. We are six months in and we finally have our kids programs up and running, you know, but we, um, we started off as, you know, rock era. We had a little program called rock on wheels where we took out of my SUV, we would drive around to these different areas and drop off stuff, especially during COVID. We couldn't really be that hands-on and we just continue to show up. And that's the biggest thing is consistency and showing up, especially for these children. When I pull up now, they know who we are. Yeah. It's not about, you know, it's not about giving them stuff. It's about being there. So, you know, um, so yeah, so Watts Empowerment Center and Watts and also uh, the Jordan Downs community, we just pulled up. You're just like, we're going to go in the community and just show them who we are and what we do. Exactly. And what's, it's exciting too, is that our work is, it's, it's showing because, um, you know, the Children's Institute has come in now and is taking over um, programs uh, at Jordan Downs in this empty gym. And we got an email saying that the community requested us first. Mm. It was a, we were the first organization. They said, we want Rock Era in. And that means to me that the community, you know, we've built that, we've built that relationship with them, that they requested our program in their first dibs with the children, with the families, like that's, you know, that's the biggest thing is, is you can't just cut. And I can, I can also spot it when people are there to just come in and come out. I can see it. I feel it. And these families know that that's not where rock area is. We're not going anywhere. I don't plan on it. And I never thought that we'd be working in Watts first, but to me, it's, it was all meant to be. And I, there are so many other communities that need this though. And so again, I'm ready to expand, you know, as soon as we can. So well, I love everything that you're doing, and I'm constantly in awe of all that you try to do and the impact that you're making. So keep doing what you're doing. Can you let people know how, where they can find you and Rock Era, and if they're interested in volunteering, what they should do? Yes, of course. You can find us uh, at our website at uh, rockera.org, and then also on Instagram at r.o.c underscore era, which you can see all of our videos. And we're really active on Instagram right now, um, and our website as, as well. You can um, you can reach out and volunteer through there. Um, but we are definitely in need of volunteers. I mean, we will take anything from coaches to you know performing volunteers to gymnastics. We're looking for. We're expanding quickly, um, so we're going to need a lot of help. So anybody who has a passion for children and a passion for social justice. Hit us up. No limit on what you can do, Ariana. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Make sure you follow her and keep up with all of the good work they are doing at Rock Era. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye.